Hi, I am Jen Matthews, and I'm an adoptee. You're listening to Conversations About Adoption, a podcast where I interview and converse with other adoptees and first parents about their stories and other issues around adoption. My goal is to spread the perspectives of other adoptees and first parents so we can challenge the common narratives and misconceptions of adoption and hopefully shed light on the social justice issues pertaining to adoption, as well as the issues adoptees and first parents face on a regular basis. Okay, so I am talking to Shell today, and she is an adoptee, and um, I don't know anything about your story, so why don't you tell me what, uh, start from the very beginning, what you know. So I am a domestic transracial adoptee, um, adopted at birth. Um, I was intended to be an open adoption through the agency I was adopted through. Um, I was adopted in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I was intended to be an open adoption through the agency. However, open adoption isn't legally binding in any state. Um, therefore, uh, my adoptive parents sent essentially what was like a cease and desist letter. Uh, within my first two months of life to my my biological parents. Okay, now you're saying you're a transracial adoptee, so now I have questions. Yeah. Because um, can you elaborate on that one? Um, I'm Colombian, and I was adopted into just an all-white family. Okay, okay. I I would have never guessed it, but that's because your hair is blonde probably. Right. I, ever since I was like about, I want to say 11, 12 years old yeah. and understood what Colombian was, uh-huh. I got really obsessed with Shakira and I always oh, yeah? wanted Shakira blonde hair, but I wasn't allowed to. So now that I'm an adult, I finally got my Shakira blonde hair. And so that was kind of exciting for me. <laughs> like I secretly hoped me and Shakira were related, but as far oh. as DNA shows, we are not. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but your hair naturally is dark? Yeah, I have naturally that dark Latina hair. Okay, okay. Yeah, I totally would have never pegged you for Latina (laughs) at all. But, you know, that's the thing. There's such a wide spectrum with Latino people. Like, my adoptive mom is Mexican. So, like, I'm, I'm like, reversed. (laughs) Because I'm as white (laughs) as can be. But I grew up with all that Latino culture. Um, cause my mom was the only one from her family here in the States. Everybody else stayed in Mexico. She married my adoptive dad was born and raised in the United States, but his mom came from Spain and, uh, he happened to get a job in Mexico city and my mom was a secretary and that was, you know, that was all <laughs> that was how it went. So I grew up with a lot of the Latino culture and, um, and I, I love it. You know, I love my cousins and stuff. A very big extended family in Mexico. So, yeah, it's huh? That's fascinating. Yeah, so you grew up it's... With good food. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I know how to make some of it. I didn't learn till I was older. My aunts taught me how to make flautas, and you know, I it's not very expansive my menu, but. uh I know how to make some stuff like carnitas and, you know, my kid loves tacos and <laughs> but real tacos, my- not with those yellow crunchy shells, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
mine wants tacos every week. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine would probably be all about that. So, um, did you, did you do ancestry DNA or anything like that for trying to do any searching? I did 23 in me, um, just out of pure curiosity. Um, but I yeah. was put in union with my biological family. Oh, um, around the age of 16. Um, okay. I started to become essentially like a problem child, um, which was really just a need for therapy and proper mental health care. Um, trauma responses for and stuff like trauma. that. Yeah. Um, so they put me in a reunion in hopes, in their words, to answer questions. Yeah. So I met my biological father when I was 15 going on 16. It was like right about to be my 16th birthday. Uh Um, He had lived in the same city as me up until about two weeks before I met him. I had no idea. I had three half brothers living in the same city as me. Oh my gosh. Before I met him. Wow. It turns out um, a secret that was kept from me for most of my life was me and him had sat across from each other at the allergy clinic when I was 12. (gasps) And I remember that day clear as day because I wondered, I was like, is that, could it be? What if? Wow. And then I was, I thought maybe, you know, that was just one of those fantasies I played out in my head. Like every adoptee once. Yeah. What if my parents come back? What if I see them? And I remember the man stopped my adoptive mom in like the breezeway of the automatic doors. Yeah. She shoves at me and says, go get in the car. And so in that moment, I was 100% sure. And then he told me when I was about 29 or 30, that it was for sure him that day. And he told me the whole scene. And I was like, I knew it was you. Oh my gosh. So clearly. But so you're not he, an international adoptee. Your parents were living here in the States. Yeah. Um, my birth father was born in Colombia. Yeah. Um, but they, he was already living over here at the time. Okay. Um, he came over and he was going to college, I believe, in Tulsa. Okay. Wow. Uh, we're still and- working on the full story of why he was here and why <laughs> why Tulsa. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people from like Latin America tend to want to come to the United States because, you know, people in other countries don't know what it is and they still think it's the land of opportunity, you know, and don't realize that most of us are struggling every day. You know, it's just the way it's depicted, you know, because I know I had cousins when I was growing up, they would want to come to the States and come and learn English and, you know, try to get a job here. And they thought they could get a job and make a lot of money and save money. And so, no, <laughs> you know, not, not necessarily that simple, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I did the same thing though. Like if I would see somebody, I was always trying to figure out what I was because my adoption was closed. I'm a baby skip adoptee. So there was like no information at all other than my parents were teenagers. And if I would see somebody that looked like me, I'd be like, where are you from? What's your heritage? You know, like trying to pick apart what I was, you know, I was pretty spot on. I did not know about the Welsh because a lot of people like that's not 
something <laughs> everybody factors in like i was thinking german and irish scottish english but there's also welsh in there but uh yeah it's i remember seeing a little girl one time and thinking is that like my sister because you know she was like behind a store window at the mall and i could have sworn she was related to me and it's possible now because i found out a lot of my birth family they were all within like 20 miles of where i grew up so you know i could have run it seen a cousin or something and you know not known that they were my cousin so it's crazy when people live in small areas like that like you said you have brothers near you yeah i had three for i think it was i guess 15 well they weren't all my age so at least 12 years yeah but i had three siblings living around me see that gets kind of scary for dating and stuff like that exactly that was one thing I was scared of like even when I turned 18 I had this boyfriend and I was like well what ethnicity are you because he had your skin like me he's like I think my dad said I'm Colombian and I was like "Uh oh did we DNA test because I don't know cousins I don't know anything I was like I know two of my brothers and there's still a third one that I haven't met and oh really We've like we FaceTimed and stuff, but we haven't met face to face. I I have um an adoptee friend. He's a male, and he was afraid to date anybody in his school or in his area because he was so afraid he would end up like sleeping with his sister, you know. And that's a very real thing that adoptees have to contend with. If you don't, if there is no information you know, transferred between families and stuff. You just don't know. And that's really kind of scary. You know, I've, I've heard a couple stories. I saw a story about this couple in Boston that was married and found out they were siblings, you know, they, you know, and that genetic sexual attraction thing happens, you know, it's kind of, that's really a creep factor there. That is a terrifying thing to just not know your other DNA could be walking around out there. Yeah. I was in school with my own brother for two years. He bullied me. We had no idea we were siblings. And like that first call with my grandmother on reunion. And she was like, where did you go to school again? And I told her, she's like, I think your brother went to that school. And I was like, wait, I have a brother. Wait, he went to my school. It was just like, bam, bam, you know, and it was like a lot to process. And that was the first thing. The same district. Yeah. And that was the first thing my adoptive mom says, like, well, it's a good thing he bullied you instead of you liking each other, I guess. True. <laughs> I guess I would take that one over the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got bullied a lot, though. So it was really like I didn't need more added on. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't. Have, no. He's not he's not a real good person. So I don't think I'd ever liked him. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, all the brothers I've met have been great people. The one that continued to live in the same city as me, even after our biological father moved, uh, uh-huh. he stayed with his biological mom in the same city as me. Yeah. Um, we just ended up developing like a relationship, a friendship. And he has been a wonderful brother. Like, uh, I think it was 2020, I got in a pretty bad car accident. He was the one I called to come help me and take me home. Oh, wow. And so he's he's been great. It's been good to have that relationship back. That's really nice. It's nice. Did you, like, 
was having siblings something you thought about when you were younger that I always wanted siblings um I was raised as an only child um and I was told that I probably had half siblings somewhere yeah and so I always dreamed about being able to you know have my siblings that was something I always wanted um I was told that they couldn't afford to adopt another child um come to find out they were blacklisted from adopting another child because they were so horrible to work with really Um, the agency straight up blacklisted them if i call and used uh, my adopted maiden name yeah like they know who i am to this day really so so when you said you know like as a teen you were like you were starting to act out and stuff like that yeah um basically like a few things that like really stuck with me is that they would tell me I was acting like my biological mom and all I knew about that was they didn't have a good relationship with her yeah they didn't get along so it was like okay you're telling me I'm acting like the person who I'm half of that you don't like so you're telling me you don't like me yeah all right I'll go. So basically I would just leave the house and not come back for days on end. Wow. Um, and they didn't know what to do with that. Um, and of course I was like most teens, I tried, you know, drinking, smoking, that kind of stuff, hanging out with like, you know, some of the rough kids. Yeah. But they couldn't handle me not coming home. And it was basically because I didn't want to be around them at that point. And if I didn't feel welcome. Yeah, it would be hard to feel welcome if they said that to you. And so I would have rather stayed with, like, places I felt welcome with my friends and their parents. Yeah. And so eventually they just couldn't handle that anymore. And I feel, I word it like they rehomed me. Like an animal that you just can't handle anymore. Wow. Like an animal that won't stop chewing on furniture or something. And they put me in a girl's home uh, that basically forced me to finish my high school education, which was fine. Like, I didn't mind school. Yeah. Um, But it basically kept me in the wilderness to where I couldn't run away. Oh, it was one of those places. (laughs) Yeah. And kept me there until I was two weeks from turning 18. So basically, once I was out, they kept me for two weeks, and then I was off to my own. Wow. And so I, basically, like, I turned 16, and they're like, all right, we can't handle you. Go somewhere else. Wow. Do you have a relationship with them now, or was that pretty I, much like it for you? I have as minimal contact with them now as possible. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I actually... I'm kind of a weird adoptee. Um, in 2020, that was just a year of so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, my biological father's wife died at age 39. Oh. Um, so he was traveling around a lot, or what he could within the United States, I guess, with restricted travel in yeah. 2020. Yeah. Um, to process his grief with that. So he was coming to see me and my brother a lot in Tulsa. I hadn't moved here yet. Yeah. Um, so he was coming to see me and my brother a bunch and me, my daughter, his grandkids. And so I met up with him. I was like, hey, I have a weird question. Want to go to dinner? So we went to dinner 
And I proposed that he adopt me back to him as an wow. adult. Um, so February of 21, I was legally adopted back to him and him only. Wow. And so I basically have uh, now like a typical Latin American name where I don't have a middle name. I put his last name as my middle name. So I just have a first name and two last names. Oh, wow. I, so I needed to keep that married last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, interesting. I've always, I, I've always been curious about that. Like I have a relationship sort of with my birth dad. It's weird because we have very different political views and I don't know. You know how it is. Reunion's kind of awkward. <laughs> and like, I didn't, like I met him originally when I reunited with my um, birth mom's family, but he at the time denied that it was him and i don't know if he knew or not like my mother didn't tell anybody so in his mind he was like what year were you born and he was like i'm not saying i wasn't with your mom but it was well after that point in time and i was like hmm and uh so apparently he was wrong because <laughs> i did ancestry <laughs> dna and figured it out um but it's just I don't know. He's a different kind of guy. He's he's a biker. He still rides motorcycles all the time. He's 73 or 74. Rides motorcycles in the weekends every summer and stuff like that. He's just he's a different kind of guy. But I like I wondered about that. It's like I wonder if he would adopt me back. But I don't know. I'm 52 now or almost 52, so I'm like, oh, what's the point?" <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean I figured it would be, it felt kind of weird asking being 30, like I'm yeah. an adult providing for myself. I have my own family. I'm married. I've got kids. Yeah. But like in the same sense, it just felt like healing because I have to still have to provide my birth certificate for things and to see like their names, their last names, that other last name. Yeah. They gave me the name Michelle, but legally I changed my name to Shell. Oh, like, okay. All my friends, all my coworkers, nobody called me Michelle. Yeah. Except people that would talk to me when I was in trouble. <laughs> like the school principal, my adoptive parents. Yeah, it's not a real good association with that name. It wasn't. Like I even had like an abusive ex that would use that name towards me like in a mean way. So it's like I didn't want to hear that name ever again. I didn't want to see that name. But yeah. everybody Call me Shell, Shelly Shell, just like fun little plays off that. Yeah. That made me feel good. And I could like still hear it and respond to it. Right, right. So like, I was like, I'm going to chop two letters off. And yeah, like, that name just feels so much better. I don't like my name because in the 70s and 80s, Jennifer was so common. It feels like a cookie cutter name to me. And like everywhere I go, like I usually run into Jennifer's everywhere, pretty much. And the other thing is, like, I think I think my adoptive mom picked it because I'm not Latino, but it does set me aside because everybody else in the family has Latino names except me, you know, which is fine. I get it because I'm not, but it's just still, it's like kind of an othering thing, you know, like my mom, she was Maria Angelica and like her and her sisters, they're all Maria something because it's Catholic, you know. Right. And um, so I have my mom's, I have Angelica is my middle name. 
So it's a mouthful, the whole thing. <laughs> That's actually my Tia's name. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And my, my grandmother was, um, my mom's mom was Aurelia. Oh, so wow. My sister has, has her middle name or her name is her middle name, but it is that Latino thing. Like it's really interesting how that goes. And it's like Spanish. My, my dad's mom, when she got married, she took her maiden name as her middle name and then had, you know, which is, I don't know, I guess maybe that came from the Spaniards or something. It's interesting. The more I compare things, the more I see what, you know, if you consider Latin America and Mexico, they were indigenous people and the Spaniards came, (laughs) you know, and that's why there's such a variation. Like in my Mexican family, there are people that are extremely dark and look indigenous and there are people that are very light, you know, and it's, it's such a broad spectrum with Latino people. Did you get to grow up speaking Spanish in your home? I'll put it this way. Well, my parents wanted us to, but you know, like when you're a kid in America, you kind of resist, you know, right. it's just easier to speak English. But, and then like, I was confused when I was younger because my dad spoke Castilian Spanish. So it sounded like he had a lisp when he spoke in Spanish. And then my mom did it. And I'm like, why does dad have a lisp when he speaks in Spanish? Like my head couldn't wrap around that. And it wasn't until I was in high school and I took a Spanish class and they were teaching Spanish, Spanish, Castilian. And they had the th. And I was like, I didn't learn it this way. I have a hard time switching over, you know, because we said como estas and they're like, como estas, you know, and, um, it's interesting. I didn't really do very well. I'm basically illiterate in Spanish. I I learned phonetically where my Spanish level is, is what it took to be able to play with my cousins and communicate with them. And like, that's pretty much as far as it goes. But it's kind of funny because since I learned when I was very young, when I am around Latino people um, or my cousins and stuff, I start thinking in Spanish, you know, like, cause I'm trying to prepare for how to speak it, but I don't have the muscle memory. So I stumble over it when it comes out a lot of times. So yeah, it's at one time when I was little, we came back, I forgot like that I had to switch and speak English. And I was telling my neighbor all about the trip and she's looking at me and she just was like, what? And my mom was like, Hey, you have to speak English here in the States, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I did learn it and but it's just it's not it's not real good. Like I won't go to a job and be like, yeah, I want to apply and be a bilingual. No, because everybody speaks too fast for me to really process it. Right. Yeah. And like we have this whole thing with my cousins and, and us when we're speaking, they're always telling me to slow down because they understand English about as well as I understand Spanish. So we're constantly saying despacio, you know. <laughs> so did you learn Spanish? Um, not growing up besides what was taught in school, um, about a half ago, I took it upon myself to get an online instructor. And so I take two classes a week now for the last about, um, and I want to just be able to get fluent so I can like talk to my family and yeah. So you have a lot of family in Columbia still? Um, some of them I have, um, my dad, uh, my tia, abuela, I want to say a tio over here. Yeah. Um, 
I love my brothers, but my brothers don't speak it. <laughs> <laughs> so what about your mom? Um, she decided to disappear about, I want to say like two weeks after I was born. Uh, oh, really? She went off, uh, she's in New Jersey. I know who she is now. I met her when I was 18. We don't get along. No. We tried to have a relationship, but every time we speak, we just butt heads. It's just an argument. And oh, really? It's just better off that we don't talk. Really? Uh, is she also Colombian or is she? Uh, no, she's, I think she was British and Irish. Okay. She's like me. Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to remember. I did my 23 in me. I forgot to try to remember what part came out of her. <laughs> I feel like, like the British Irish pieces. Um, she claims we have a Native American great grandma, but I feel like the 23 in me argues with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of people that think they have indigenous in them that don't, you know. Yeah. And I do, but it's definitely from my dad. <laughs> yeah, Colombian side. Yeah. Yeah. It's very but it definitely counts for his 50% of me. Yeah. It's uh, uh ancestry DNA is really interesting because as years go by, they're updating their information and what they display. And now they have this thing where um it has a circle and it shows you what part came from your mom and which part came from your dad. And it's okay. it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating to see it laid out that way and i did see she was on ancestry so that would be interesting to do and then end up connecting (laughs) yeah (laughs) well you'd you could probably find a bunch of other people do you have any siblings on your mom's side or you don't know um i do i'm have a half sister and two half brothers with her um with the siblings all around we're all halves of each other Nobody's yeah. a whole sibling of anybody. Um, I'm decently close with that half sister. We haven't met face to face still. Um, okay. Just like online or it, phone. Yeah, Snapchat, text message, Facebook, Instagram. Um, but just through that, we've developed a really close relationship. Um, she has issues with our mom as well. Yeah, she basically she didn't put her up for adoption. But she left her with her dad and left. Oh, wow. And then she went on to raise our two brothers. Oh, so she did. I was just about to say, it seems like maybe she's not very maternal. But if she went on to raise the boys. But the boys don't like her either. Oh, wow. The boys have, I haven't gotten to talk to them too in depth. But they have expressed some trauma from her end. Really? And. They haven't gone into detail with me, but I know it's something relating to her. Yeah. And so I don't think her maternal instinct is very there at all. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like it. So, like, I've heard more. I never knew much about this troubled teen industry thing that they have with these, like, forest camps and stuff. Until on TikTok, there's this one girl, woman that I follow, who her adoptive parents were not so kind and uh she ended up spending time in some of these places and that's where i first learned about them 
And like, since then I've seen other people coming forward and talking about it. And I've, I've heard some, some pretty nasty stories about these places. Did you experience any kind of abuse at the place where you were left? It was horrible. (laughs) Really? Uh, It was heavily religious, which I already take issue with in the first place, because you can't replace one issue with what I would consider essentially an addiction. Yeah. Um, It's like trading cocaine for coffee, in a sense. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Just trading one thing for another. Yeah. But they strip everything you own from you. Like you would going into prison. You don't have your clothes. You don't have your hair products. You don't have makeup. You get a stuffed animal. Oh, whoopee. Um, and I think that's about it. Of your own items. They tell you exactly what kind of underwear you're going to wear. It's like very depersonalizing, dehumanizing. Very. Like you don't get to do your hair. Like you can blow dry it. Yeah. Um, and then immediately as soon as you're in, they're going to assign you a bed. Depending on how new you are, determines where your bed is. Are you on a top bunk, bottom bunk, single bed? You have roommates now. You have 10 minutes in the bathroom total. That is to brush your teeth, get in the shower, get out of the shower, get dressed. Wow. Like, I don't know how any of us were even clean. Right. And then you have to like, do all the chores which include like chopping stacking wood out in the cold out in the rain you're taking care of animals you're doing like the gardening and stuff like wow you are then like school is done in a cubicle you're not to see other people you are not to talk to other people you are not to touch anybody you are fully deprived of human touch wow i had one roommate we would look outside make sure the staff was like busy with someone yeah. run in our closet hug for three seconds and then run out oh my gosh that's so sad like because we were just so deprived of human touch and affection how is that supposed to help kids that are struggling it, that's what I i'd like to know only driving certain people farther down yeah that's what it seems like would happen like that's gonna cause people to have crises and stuff like that mental health crises I mean, you watch some people just absolutely break. Like, you would watch girls just, like, sit up in their bed at night, scream. Like, just have, like, an absolute mental break, scream, cry. And you would just wait for a staff member to show up and, like, make them chill. Like, be getting in fights. Like, I mean... In a home of all girls, you expect some fights to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say girls will be girls, but like we have four bones that go a little bit crazy once a month. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. And how long were you in a place like that? I was there for 14 months. Oh my God. There was girls there that had been there for three years. Oh um, I remember one girl that was there for. I think she was closing in four to five years by the time I left. She was also an adoptee. Huh. There was numerous adoptees there. Um, some girls, I didn't understand why they were there. Their parents were upset with who they were dating. 
And that's it. It was just to keep them away from their boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. I don't understand that. Like people like that. I can't, you know, you can't control people like they think they can. But you're going to learn like it's it's just going to backfire on you. You know, like. I just I have a hard time digesting that. How could somebody do that to their child? You know, especially like adoptive parents they supposedly want you so much then why are they gonna do that you know they go through everything to get you the first night i was there my grandfather died oh my god i got a phone call to let me know and they didn't permit me to go to the funeral because they thought i would try to manipulate my way out of the program so they forced me to miss my own grandfather's funeral just so they keep me there and then i get in trouble when i completely lash out at that point yeah (laughs) oh my gosh i can't that's terrible i can't even like i was seven years old when my my grandfather passed away this was the only grandfather i ever knew he was my mom's my adoptive mom's stepdad but he was this great guy and he would always like play with me he bought me you know like some toys and stuff like that and even though we had a language barrier because he spoke french and i didn't he was like this wonderful man and i remember when he passed away my mom went to mexico to go to the funeral and i made my own little funeral for him like i got this big sheet of paper and drew like a coffin and there was these little plastic flowers in the bathroom on the toilet and i put them at the head of this little paper coffin that I drew and I, you know, said a little prayer and stuff. And I mean, just like I was a little girl and that's how I was processing my grief. Then like to have a teenager, you know, who's like fully aware and I don't know, were you close with your grandfather? I mean, to an extent, we weren't like best buddies, but I grew up with him. I was around him multiple times. During sure. the year, we lived in the same city. He was your grandfather, yeah. Yeah, he was the only grandpa. Like, like I was closer, like best buddies with my grandma. Yeah, yeah. That's what kept me and him close. Yeah, like, I guess that. The house I went to every weekend for like my sleepover. Yeah, and the one just slipped me like an extra fudge sickle or cream <laughs> pop. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. Grandparents can, can be really fun. Like. I, I was a wild teenager. I would spend the weekends at my grandma's playing Scrabble, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and watching Golden Girls. I grew up like I was one of those. I didn't like my form of acting out was like getting huffy and walking away while my mom was still talking. You know, <laughs> that was like I never really. My mom was always too sensitive. Like I could have never pulled the well. My real mom, she'd have freaking had a meltdown if i ever did anything like that (laughs) and i knew that i had that awareness about her so i acted in ways to like protect her feelings you know because like if you ask questions about your birth parents and your adoptive parent like you see them stiffen up you know kids are aware they know yeah you know it's like silent conditioning to not ask questions is what it's like but being a closed adoption, there was no information, you know. But you started off by saying your adoption was actually an open adoption. It was supposed to be. Um, so I grew up having 
just essentially one picture of each biological parent. And I was supposed to have them in my life. Yeah. For my life. Like the motto of the agency I was adopted through is finding families for babies. <laughs> and they put the emphasis on that instead of finding babies for families. Yeah. So it makes it sound like, you know, this baby has more than one family. Yeah. Um, but because they can't enforce that, my adoptive mom, I mean, lied to me my whole life. She's like, oh, I thought I just had to send them pictures for two months. Like, that's what she told me growing up. Was I just thought I just had to send them pictures of you for two months. Well, it's basically whatever people are arrange, you know, whatever they agree to. Like some people agree to like contact and getting visits a few times a year. And some it's just letters and pictures and, you know, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like open adoptions would be healthier for everybody, but some people are toxic and it doesn't work. And your mom flaked and left anyway, you said, right? She just kind of disappeared. Yeah, I think my adoptive mom kind of upset her. Yeah, I'm sure. Dipped. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense, too. What year were you born? 90. You were born in 90? Yeah. Okay. That's a, I was just trying to... I'm thinking where I was, I was... That's the year my adoptive dad passed away. So it was... a a big year for me and kind of traumatic and stuff because I was always closer with my dad than I was my mom she and I were like oil and water you know me too yeah we just bumped heads all the time it was like her feelings were the only ones that mattered you know (laughs) I wasn't allowed to have feelings (laughs) I couldn't have feelings and yet she was mostly like she seemed kind of cold and unfeeling sometimes too there's there's a lot of people that tend to think like well did were, did they adopt because of infertility yeah that their reason yeah there's i have like theories about uh people that adopt for infertility reasons and it's like depending on what people go through as far as like trying to conceive because i struggled with that myself i have polycystic ovarian and i started looking into okay what do you do to try to conceive and if you you know you think about the process people start with okay first you're checking when you're ovulating and then it goes to taking your temperature every day and writing it down and things like that and like if you're thinking about something every single day that's going to lead to some obsessive thought patterns you know so i have a theory that infertility can kind of bring about mental health issues in people that have the risk factors to take them that way to the point of like there's a lot of adoptees i've talked to and read their stories in groups that they feel 100 percent that their adoptive mom was narcissistic you know and it's because it's all about them and what they wanted and what you know what's going on with them and you know i don't have any scientific proof or anything about that but it's just a theory that i have because it definitely kind of seems to go that way like my parents didn't exactly adopt for infertility they didn't seek out adoption they had my sister pretty much right off when they got married um so she was nine years older than me and then there was like some miscarriages and 
no pregnancies for nine years and somebody was like have you ever thought about adopting and that's how they ended up getting me but you know there's some these people that you see oh, there's an account in particular that i just loathe called living with the livelies on tiktok and she's i'm sure she's probably on youtube and other places too but she literally when they adopted this newborn last year was in a hospital bed wearing a gown like she just gave birth when they're bringing the baby into her like that there's that really like what <laughs> that is a little handmaid's tale have you watched handmaid's tale uh-uh. oh my god it's really good I but it's really triggering <laughs> that's the only reason i put it off so long but it's so good it's really, 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 it sucks you in. It's really good. But when you see what's going on in this country right now, you're like, Gilead's coming. You know, it's it's like they're trying to make it into Gilead. I swear to God. It's crazy. It's a very, I don't know if you read the book. The book is, the book is good, but the series, they've really expanded on all of it and taken it out and shown graphic detail of things and you know it's these women they're kept as handmaids because they're fertile and they have to go stay at a house with this couple and like there was some virus or something where there's like all this infertility people can't have kids and it's literally the wife holds the handmaid while the man tries to impregnate her they call it the ceremony you know aka rape and it's just like when she's giving birth the 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 wife is acting like she's in labor also at the same time that the handmaid's in labor and it makes me think of that that's why a lot of people you'll see like on social media they're like that gives me handmaid's vibe and it's because that they're trying to make that experience as real as possible for themselves you know because they want that newborn experience you know and it's just it's kind of disturbing it is I can't imagine what my face would have done if I would have scrolled past that. (laughs) (laughs) It's really disturbing. So, and you said you have kids? Do you have a daughter? I have a son and a daughter. A son and a daughter. So, do you feel like, do you see genetic mirroring with them for yourself? Oh, yeah. Like, I I feel like with my daughter, I feel like I gave birth to myself. Really? like how do I handle this? Like it's terrifying. Little mini me. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like my son. He's he's a little more like his dad. Yeah. Sometimes. Like I see a lot of me in him, but he he's a little more like his dad sometimes. But my sure daughter, man, that is <laughs> that's a mirror, literal mirror. <laughs> Is your dad, your birth dad, like being a, a grandpa? Oh, he loves it. Yeah. You call him dad? Uh, I call him Pops. Pops. I feel like it's very like northeasterny because he lives up in like the Delaware, New Jersey area. Oh, okay. He's not in Oklahoma anymore either. No. You guys talk regularly? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, lately, he's been back and forth between the U.S. and Colombia, so it's like trying he to figure out a family there. So, 
yeah, he has a residence in both countries. So he just pops back and forth when he feels like he works remote. So have you ever gone to Colombia? Not yet. I'm hoping you- to maybe this year. Yeah. If not here next. That'll be overwhelming, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I've watched all the documentaries I can and Yeah. That's always look at the pictures and what there is to do, like all the tourism sites and there's quite a few um transracial international adoptees that came from orphanages in Colombia. And uh, you know, they don't they don't know if they're gonna be able to ever find their parents, you know, because of the orphanages. I have um on the podcast there's another one uh I talked to Oh God, Mark. And uh, he's a international transracial Colombian adoptee. He's also transgender. And uh, it's a pretty interesting story if you want to check it out. Yeah. But I believe it's the similar situation for him where he he came from an orphanage. I don't know that he's going to be able to find, you know, his family. So that's kind of sad. Like I have another friend, international adoptees, you know, when you have an orphanage involved, it's it's like a needle in a haystack, I feel, to find, you know, right. which is kind of sad. You know, I, I I, don't know. That'd be a hard thing to have to accept, like, that you don't know and you may never know. You know, like, my birth mother was deceased, so that was, like, a big pill to swallow. And it took me a while to process that and accept it because, like, I had a lot of anger towards my birth mom when I was a kid because I didn't understand the whole like she was young it wasn't even her choice there was no information you know and so I was like really angry when I was young like I I didn't act out but I had a temper you know so like but I kept it all bottled up inside and it didn't start erupting until I was like a little older and there was like I I kicked a hole in my mom's wall once, but that's because she was being really stubborn. Like she needed to go to the hospital and go. And she like, didn't like listening to anything anybody else had to say. And I just like, I punched the wall and then I kicked a hole in it. It was like, whoops, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) But stuck in the wall. I was like, whoops. She didn't even say anything. She didn't even get mad because she knew she was in the wrong because she was like being a brick wall and not hearing what people had to say. But yeah, my anger scared me for a while. It was really... I kept everything so bottled up for so long that when it came out, it was like, you know, and I don't know. Did you have a lot of anger when you were a kid? Oh, I did. And like, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And like, it took me probably, gosh, till I was 24 ish to start to learn how to channel it properly. Yeah. 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 And I say sometimes like that anger comes out like it. Do you think you were angry at your birth mom or were you just angry at everything? I think it was just the whole situation. Yeah. Of like, I feel like there was ways maybe it could have been avoided even. Yeah. Or just been better. And like, I think at 24 and younger, I didn't know there was still lies that were uncovered up. And I didn't start uncovering those till like between 28 and 30. Wow. So and recent. Like, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm about to be 33. So yeah. Once I started uncovering those, like luckily I'd learned how to handle my anger by then. Yeah. 
man, I had a lot <laughs> and I understood where it was coming from at that point. It was like, now I see what it is that I'm so mad about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like an unnamed anger in a way. Like, I don't know. I just, for me, my anger was a self-defense mechanism. You know, I was told, you know, your mother was too young to take care of you. And at first I was like crushed and upset and like, but why would my mom not want me? And that's all I was focused on. And then it turned into like, as I got older, because I have a Mexican mom, I used to feel like I had to explain myself all the time. I'd be like, oh, my mom's Mexican. And people would look at me like, how's that happen? And so I had to explain like, well, I was adopted. And immediately people would always be like, oh, do you know who your birth mom is? Do you want to find her? Are you curious? So I would immediately rattle off the answers before they could even ask me. And I'd be like, no, she doesn't didn't want me. So I don't want her and I don't care. And I'm not going to find her. And, you know, and 24 was when it hit me and I got really curious. You know, that's when I really started searching. I was curious before because my dad died of cancer and then his mom a year later, she had had cancer earlier on and then she got leukemia. And so in my mind, like, it's when I started, like, connecting these dots. My older sister knows what's in her medical background, and I have no clue at all, you know. So that was, like, my initial excuse to start digging was the medical history thing. But, yeah, it's it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I remember a boy that liked me when I was, like, 14 walking me to my adoptive mom's car one day. Yeah. He was probably just trying to be smooth or whatever. He goes, wow, you look just like her. And I looked at him. I was like, I'm adopted. <laughs> I was like, so I don't know what you see. <laughs> and even she was just kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. I know. I had somebody tell me that I looked like my I mean, sister I could tell once. Like oh, we got a lag going on. Yeah, I, I had a picture. Um, it was a selfie I did with my older sister, who is my parents' biological child. And I was editing it. I didn't like the way it looked, so I made it like sepia. So our skin tone looked kind of the same. People were like, you look like sisters. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> it's just the sepia, I swear to God, because we don't look anything alike. You know. Yeah. So anything else about your story that you want to talk about? Um, are you involved in any advocacy or you know creating content or anything around adoption um i run my own uh instagram blog um oh you do uh, it's called uh, my altered adoption where i just kind of explain like how i went from being an adoptee to my dad's adoptee <laughs> i guess <laughs> i don't know what to call it um I've been working on kind of building that up a little more. I've been a little slow. I just kind of do it whenever I have the spoons. Um, sure. I'm a moderator for the Adopted Chameleons group uh, with oh. Leray Gerald. Um, yeah, I know Leray. She sends her hellos. Um, <laughs> I, I was like just doing, I just did yoga with her about an hour or so ago. Um, oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about that. I want to do it one of these days, but. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> really? I've never really taken like a yoga class or anything, but I, I've always had an interest in it. So, oh, it's, even for beginners, it's real, 
that's just easy and good to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard things. I've been listening to the body keeps the score. I just and, um, yeah. And it's, it's easier for me to listen to it. Cause I can listen when I'm like driving around and stuff. And he talks a lot about people that have experienced a lot of trauma. Like they disconnect from their body. And he talks a lot about mindfulness and yoga class and things like that. And it helps like to reconnect you with your physical being. And that's where I've like, that's not a bad idea. I just ordered the workbook for it. Um, there's a workbook that accompanies the body keeps the score. Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's on Amazon. So I have it coming. I also ordered a paper copy too, so I can highlight stuff. And um, yeah, it's so interesting. And I've taken a few classes on trauma and stuff like that in school. And I feel like the book is helping me to understand it even more than those classes did because of the way he talks about the research studies that he did and things like that. So it's, um, it's very, it's, I think it's going to be a helpful, helpful book for myself. I've heard a lot of people really sing its praises. Yeah. Same. I just started it. So I'm yeah. interested to see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's some of the, he stare, he shares stories from people and different traumas they've experienced. And I keep hoping that he'll talk about like adoption, but I'm sure he won't. <laughs> Most people don't really think of that as trauma, but, or the general, general society, they d- they're just like, what, what, what did you lose? You got a family. It's like, well, yeah, you know, adoption right. starts with loss, you know, and people don't want to acknowledge that part of it, but it's, it's true. It's undeniable, you know, in order for a kid to be put up for adoption, they had to lose everything first, you know, and. So I was doing a lot of TikTok stuff for a while, but it was just sucking up too much of my time. And I love everybody on there and I want to see all the videos they're making. And that's why it sucks up my time. (laughs) That's what app I haven't really gotten on. So (laughs) I started during the pandemic. There was a lot more downtime, you know. Yeah. But there's a lot of really, really cool people telling stories on there. But it's there's a lot of arguing, too. And that's what I get tired of because you'll make a video about something that has to do with your story. And then people come along and they're just going to argue with you about your story. And it's like, just forget it. So, but yeah, with school and everything, I was like, I'm taking a break from that. I just check in every once in a while. (laughs) Then uh, Sundays, um, just recently, I think uh, just last month, me and Lisa Navarra started doing um, adoptees exploring grief through art. Um, oh, on Zoom. oh, really? Um, so we posted the link to that in the Adopted Chameleons group. Um, okay. But we set up a, a whole Facebook group for it, too, that people can join. Um, and then we just send out an email chain. We post it in the group. Um, but each week we make like a little kind of like a prompt whether it be a poem a video uh, anything really it could yeah. be a crystal um and and then we meet up on zoom every sunday night um it's let me see if i can get my time zones right 3 p.m pacific 5 p.m central and 6 p.m eastern okay and then it lasts about two and a half hours so we end about 8 30 eastern okay 30 central and then uh we basically we get together we check in um 
go over the prompt one more time. Everybody goes off, does their own little project with whatever they have, interpret it however they want, process how they want. And then we regroup. If they want to share, we can share the project um, to kind of talk about it. And then that's really cool. And we can share it in the group, post a picture of it. If you didn't finish, like within the hour, hour, 15 minutes, we set aside for it. Finish it in your free time, post it in the group later. That's really cool. Send me the links to uh, to that stuff and I'll include it in the show notes so people can find it. Because yeah, that's well, a so really, really cool idea. Yeah, it's been really helpful. Like I have even started just doing like extra art in my own free time now just to yeah. really like just process some of that, push some of the emotions out of my body onto physical canvas, paper, whatever. I've always been a colorer. Like ever since I was a little kid, coloring has been my jam. And when my dad was sick, I and and after he died, I had this Ziploc bag with a sketchbook and and markers and I just took it everywhere with me. And as soon as I sat down, I would just start. And it's like a way for me to like deal with my anxiety. Some people might be like it's disassociating, but I've really gotten into these um mandalas i really love doing the coloring this is the one i'm working on now i love those yeah and those are relaxing <laughs> yeah i love doing these so like i'll listen to my textbooks and stuff for school and i'll color while i'm listening and it's just i really i like i had really really bad anxiety during the beginning of the pandemic and lockdown because i have asthma and i was so paranoid about yeah. about that I had like a stack of sheets that I was coloring during that. It was like, we're just sitting in the house all the time anyway. So that was what I was doing. But, you know, I, I've done like a few, I have a painting that I did that's like adoption related and stuff. So that's really interesting and um, sounds like it could be really cathartic for people. So I definitely want to include those links in the show notes. So yeah, I'll get those sent out. Yeah, yeah. So definitely send them to me and your Instagram, and I'll include that if you want me to. Yeah, sure. So anyway, well, um, I'm going to have to get off of here because my kid's going to be coming home soon. But yeah. <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to add? I think that was pretty much it. Okay, give me to cover. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that you were available so we could do this. So. Yeah. Glad to have me do it. This has been great. Yeah. All right. Well, it was nice meeting you, Shell. You too, Jen. All right. Take care. <laughs> you too.